0: Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of React Roundup. I am your host today, T.J. Van Toll and with me on the panel is Jack Harrington. Hello. And I also before we introduce our guests, I want to encourage people. We haven't done this at the top of the show, but encourage you to come hang out with us in our Discord channel. So oh yeah. you will find a link in the show notes or if not and we failed, you can also find by just Googling React Roundup and finding a link. Uh, we hang out in there. And if you have any questions from the show, anything that comes up, uh, feel free to pop in there uh, and come hang out. Yes, please. Cool. And with that, I want to introduce our special guest today. We have Eva Eva Cup. Kopp, Releva, right? Am I, did I get it right, more or less?
1: Yeah, perfect.
0: <laughs> cool. Hi. Eva, Eva, welcome to React Roundup. Do you want to start by telling people who you are, what you do, why you're famous, all those good sorts of things?
1: <laughs> so I don't know if I would say that I'm uh, famous. I'm a React developer. I currently work for a company that uh, is called Citizen Lab, and what we're doing is we're creating a software product that is helping governments create good conditions for citizenship participation. So basically, we're providing a platform where citizens can do different things like uh, engage in ways of giving ideas or maybe voting on certain proposals, uh, taking surveys and uh, things like that. So this is uh, my uh, main job and uh, what I do by day. Uh, Other than that, I also like to write uh, technical content and technical articles. I'm currently writing mostly on my own blog which is uh, called, Where's the Mouse? (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah, I also write uh, guest articles uh, sometimes for Free Code Camp and uh, LogRocket.
0: This is very fun. It's an awesome blog. I like the name and the the design of this is really fun as well.
2: Hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to Topenddevs.com slash podcast. And you can actually hear a little bit more about my story about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Topend Devs, why I changed it from uh, DevChat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with DevChat.tv. And I renamed it to Topend Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? That's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com.
0: Yeah. And so we reached out to you about, uh, initially about some of the stuff about really React code quality, right? Like different things in terms of best practices, in terms of structuring React components, setting up robust React projects. So. Maybe you could just start by introducing, like, I guess, like, what what inspired you to write about that sort of stuff? And then maybe we can then transition from that into some specific tips you might have as well.
1: Sure. So I think that one of the main things for me, especially when it comes to writing articles and just sharing knowledge in general, is that it helps me think things through really well. So... If I write an article about it, that means I need to understand an idea or something that I'm interested in well enough so that I can explain it to someone else. And I think that's uh, really kind of the benefit that I get uh, from the writing, apart from, you know, that it's nice to share knowledge and connect with uh, other developers. And this is really a good way to do that as well. But for me, just synthesizing information and especially in ways that I haven't perhaps seen it somewhere else and just. It helps me learn and be better at coding and also writing. So I think it's uh, it's super nice.
3: Teaching is the best way of learning, for sure. It helps you organize and yeah. structure everything. It's great. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Exactly. If you can explain it uh, to someone else, uh, then you understand it.
3: Oh, yeah.
0: And did you get into code quality just from like running into work s- stuff? Or was it was it personal projects? Or I guess what's what inspired you to write about that specifically?
1: Yeah so I think that I, I like it when my life is easy
3: <laughs> uh, <and laughs> as we all do
1: <laughs> and I think that there's many ways that developers can do to make their lives a lot easier than it actually is and what I started uh, when I started to work on different projects and in different teams I started to realize that there's like really some relatively simple steps that you can take and it doesn't really matter what it's about right it could be how you structure your code it could be how you kind of uh, make it in a, make something more reusable or more flexible or it could be just a basic developer setup right so just having a link. To or having something like a formatter in place, things like that, that can make your life like so much easier and then it can make you also yourself much more productive because when you kind of everybody has a limited bandwidth i guess and you shouldn't fill it with things that can be automated in whatever way oh yeah Um, so then this is uh, i think the the thing that i'm most most passionate about is uh, when i see something that can be solved like relatively easily but i don't see it implemented in a lot of places i really like to write an article about it so that i kind of share my my learnings and my my way of doing things and hopefully. Help someone or people find it useful.
3: Yeah, definitely. And and it's in particular, this is somewhere like I mean, I, we've talked. To, I've talked to Angular folks and I've talked to React folks. It's like Angular does this really well, right? They have all their projects structured. You know where everything is, but when you get into a React project, you're like, they're all different. You're like where wh- what what is going on here? Where is this? You know, <laughs> wait, where is the code for this? So, I mean. Can you give us like just kind of a shorthand? Like, what do, what are some some recommendations that you have if you don't have any structure at all? Like, oh, you gotta gotta do this, gotta do that.
1: Yeah, so I think that you're very right. React is very unopinionated, which can be <laughs> like both a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, yes, because it it gives you a lot of freedom, and if you know how to use this freedom, it can be amazing, and you can. Create really cool things with it, but yeah, definitely you know, in some cases it, it's not so easy, and uh, it's true. Every project is different, and it very much depends on context, also how how you structure it. So it's one thing if you write, like for example, a component library. It's totally different thing if you write a React app, and so obviously it it depends on context. But one kind of universal. Tip uh, that I would have when it comes to structuring code is I think that with React collocation is super important. So basically, if you have a React component, you want to put things that are related to this component together. So let's say you have the index file for the component itself. Maybe you have some, you know, styles related to it. It should be like right next to the component so that you don't have to find like a style sheet in like a totally different part of the project. If you have a test for it, it should be right next to it because it's, it acts not only as, you know, gives you confidence and it's nice to to have tests, uh, generally, like uh, (laughs) in my my opinion. (laughs) But it's also like a documentation thing, right? So whenever you have a component and you have the test right next to the component, then you very easily can understand what this component is about, what it does. The same thing goes for, I mean, it depends a bit on what you're building, but if you're using a tool like Storybook, for example, Mm. and you are writing stories for these components, they should be there as well. Right, So then you can click super easily, okay, that's my code, that's my story for it, that's my test for it, that's my styles for it, everything's there. And I've seen a lot of projects that don't follow this structure. So normally they would have like one place for the styles, for example, one place for the, or like uh, have this. It was popular, I guess in the past, maybe not so much anymore, but this kind of a container component uh, structure where you keep the components that are just mostly visual or just uh, don't have much logic in them in one place. And then you keep the logic in another place. And I find this more confusing than just collocating <laughs> things that belong together really together and yeah this is my my advice if if you're structuring something from scratch maybe think about collocating things that belong together and really keep them together
0: yeah i love that tip and i've violated it many times um, <laughs> and sort of learned the hard way i actually feel like lots of times the defaults don't do that cuz i feel like Having just started a Next.js app, I feel like their defaults creates like a styles folder. I'd have to look now, but I, or at least if not the actual like uh, boilerplate, like I feel like lots of times online examples still encourage you to separate these things. Um, styles and tests is the other one. I, I feel like having a test folder that's like a, a mirror of your main source folder is still a pretty common practice and something I have still do as well. But I tend to agree. I, I like your tip that putting them together, I can see the benefit of doing that.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. And also to be clear, like there's no one strict rule that anyone can follow, right? It's every project is different, every code base is different. So depending on the context, it might make total sense to separate some of that and put it somewhere else, for example. So It's very context-dependent, and, like, I tend to always preface, like, whenever I write an article or talk to people, I always say, like, just think critically about your context because you have to consider a lot of things and you have to juggle a lot of things. And, for example, okay, I love collocation. If I work on a project that doesn't have that or follows a bit of a different convention and I have to rewrite the entire database so that I follow this one principle, then I probably won't do that, right? (laughs) So,
3: yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah.
1: very important to to keep in mind that you know this advice, any advice, it's never going to be like a hundred percent universal.
3: Yeah, there's definitely three states. There's like not having any conventions at all, and then there is having conventions that aren't what you like, and then there's having conventions that you like, right? And so certainly, in a at a cultural level, when you get onto a team, if there are conventions but they're just not the one you like, then that's yeah, you probably don't want to fight that. Yeah, if it's working, just keep it working. Yeah, it's always yeah, easiest. Yeah. Go ahead, Eva.
1: I, w- I was just going to say, uh, you know what they say, like if it's not broken.
3: <laughs>
0: yeah, exit. Don't fix it. Yeah, exa- no, yeah I, f- I find that those sorts of things are easiest to decide on at the start of a, pro- oh, <laughs> of a project, if possible. But lots of times, it's always hard because a lot of times you only learn through once you get to scale, right? So it's it's you're you're kind of damned if you do, damned if you don't, in a way.
1: That's so virtual.
0: <laughs> what other tips do you have for us, Eva? Because that was an excellent one. Is there any other t- advice for like beginners, um, either whether it's like component related or project structure related?
1: Yeah. So I can only kind of go from my own experience and I'm a self-taught developer so basically uh, what I did is uh, one uh, day I sat on a computer and kind of uh, learned how to code uh, totally on the internet. So this is uh, I guess that it depends uh, a little bit on your background the kind of things that you would struggle with uh, when you're learning to code and when you're a beginner. But coming from my perspective, one of the things that I found really hard in the beginning is just thinking in in terms of not visually, uh, in terms of like pages or like larger chunks of the generally when we talk about UI, but thinking in terms of components. And this was mm-hmm. like a kind of a mind shift that React really forces you to, to make at some point. And one of the things that I found really difficult was to know every single component state from the beginning. And think about it and consider it and really implement it in a way that makes sense. Because normally what happens, especially if you're a junior developer, is you receive like the design from the designer, or maybe you make it yourself if you're really talented, but you get like an image of what you have to build. And the website is, the thing that you're building is is not an image, right? It's a thing that's alive, it's interactive, it's very, very different from the design that you get, and uh, mm-hmm. if you, if you get the image of that, like it's really difficult for that image to convey all the information that you need to have in order to implement the thing in the right way. So a concrete example of that would be like any UI that deals with data fetching in any way. So you can have like a super nice image of a table where all the rows are super nice and the mm-hmm. images fit and the text is you know the correct length. And everything is just—it looks super nice on the design. And then when you get the actual data, or when you try to work with like actual, yeah, just real life. Yeah, it just uh, totally blows websites, up. Right. There's a lot of things to consider. So the one thing, uh, one thing to consider is: okay, what happens until I wait for this data to come? Right. So Mm -hmm. I need to have like some sort of a loading state there. It has to be, it has to look okay for the user. They have to know that they're waiting for something, right? You have to give them the necessary information. And then, okay. uh, So what happens, uh, for example, then when I switch the page and I have to wait for the data for the second page, right? So I have like this one loading state before, but should they use the same one? Well, no, because I already have some data to display. So I need like kind of a, Another loading UI for, so basically for the different uh, scenarios when I have data and when I don't have data. So in, in the one case, you have something to show, so you better show it. So that's like one of the things that it's it's really hard from the beginning, right? It's really hard to get this picture from just looking at the design. What happens if there's no data, right? So you need an empty state of some sort. What happens if uh, there's an error on the server, you have to have a mechanism to to let the user know that something has wrong. Or yeah, so all of these sorts of things just make it a lot more complex than than following the the design. And I find that super interesting. It was it was a challenge in the beginning, but definitely something that I think with, comes with practice. And it's also like it, it makes it challenging and it makes it interesting to like build super nice UIs that you know are usable and yeah, overall working nicely.
3: Yeah, you're totally right. I mean, it's not just it. And there's also like the empty state where you loaded the data, but it's empty. Right. And so you probably want to put it in like a call to action. Like, hey, you should add some data here, you know, or you should you know, add a role or something like that. You know, If it's if it's a list of roles. And then I've, I've always seen where people, you know, they'll they'll spend a ton of time like pixel managing like the 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 desktop view like oh this header needs to be over by two pixels and needs to be a little bit bolder and whatnot and you're like okay cool but you're missing as you say all the loading states the empty empty data state all the responsive states like where like <laughs> where is that on this mockup and yeah that's like ninety five percent of the work
1: yeah yeah you're you're so right about that I think that pixel perfect I don't know where this term even Ugh. Came from? It was probably before I uh, became a developer, uh, it was a thing. Like, uh, what I mean is that it's uh, probably really old, but uh, I don't think that it exists such a thing, right? So when you really take into account all of the different states, all of the different scenarios, all of the different, like, especially if you're working with dynamic data, like all of that and together with as you said responsiveness which is a given nowadays right there's no websites that are not responsive anymore and where is this like pixel perfection it it kind of evaporates very very quickly
3: (laughs) oh very rapidly Uh
0: but, oh man I, so if you're wondering where the term came from so back in back in the day of web development and design Flash. we used to yeah we used to <laughs> on our websites put a little thing on the site that said something we would legit say this website was designed to be viewed in an 800 by 600 browser oh, like that text yes. that text I would show up about that. Oh, really? and you would you would literally oh, so design bad. your site for that type of because there were there were only like x number of resolutions that your site was reasonably going to be viewed in. So you'd code to the most common one and you would put that text on your website. So you legitimately could make it pixel perfect because there was, you were coding to a legit, like a specific number of pixels. Uh, So you could get it exactly as you wanted down to the pixel. And those people viewing it on that exact monitor would have a great experience, (laughs) but obviously that's dated more than a little bit at this point because (laughs) it got dated pretty quickly as People got bigger monitors, and then uh, you know, and that was not to mention media queries. So yeah, you know, yeah, well, not well. to mention yeah. This is almost like predates CSS, though. I mean, we're going <laughs> back into the '90s and such. But yeah, you shouldn't be using uh, yeah, yeah, shouldn't be using
3: uh, approaches like that nowadays. Though uh, we've moved well, well beyond that. You're right, though. It's a terrible marketing term. I'm sure it was come up with by by marketers who want to sell a product to like make sure you had pixel perfect designs. which uh, will never
2: code.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's a that's a really amazing story. I never realized that this was uh, how uh, how it used to be in the past. So super interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think that one of the ways to really go about it when it comes to modern UIs. And one of the things that I've been pretty consistently being, you know, having a good experience with is uh, using not this kind of pixel perfect or, or not even designing in this way where you make everything custom and make every page, you know, for itself, but really create really thinking components, but both in terms of the design and in terms of the, of the UI itself or in terms of React components. Um, preach it. So this is preach it. Inquiry.
3: Design systems all the way. Yes.
1: Yeah. yeah. E- exactly. So you you know exactly where I was going with this.
3: Oh yes. No uh, no. P- go go go. Yes. <laughs> More people the better. Yeah, know this. This so.
1: is uh, this is what I, I wanted to exactly what I wanted to say. Right. So if you create a sensible design system from the start and it doesn't have to be perfect it doesn't have to, so it always evolves you will always need more options you will always need more components that's not you know it's not an issue it should be evolving right? you cannot make it perfect from the start but if you have a good foundation if you lay it out in a way that really makes sense for your product or your your UI like whatever you're trying to create. Then this really streamlines the whole process. So from the design, the designer knows exactly what building blocks they can use. They know how to put it together. They know how to make it nice. If they need something extra, they can, of course, coordinate and... uh, Build it together with whoever is developing the, the component library. So, again, it's not that it's super rigid and strict, but uh, as long as the foundation is there, it's really so much easier because they can give you a wireframe and you can, based on that wireframe, take the components that you have and you normally use and then like build a UI that is super. First of all, it would look nice if you did your job correctly. Yeah. And sec- second of all, it would be super, like super consistent with what you already have elsewhere. If you're building a new feature, it's not going to look totally different. You don't have to, like, as you said before, you know, measure pixels uh, because it's <laughs> measured measured for you uh, normally. So you would have like some kind of a spacing system where you have like fixed units or something where you know normally how much uh, space you would put between things. You won't have to think about font sizes. You won't have to think about certain behaviors. So when this opens, what's the animation or something like that, this would be all, you know done for you and it's another like great benefit is if you decide to change it you change it in one place
3: one place and it fixes it everywhere exactly
1: yeah so this is really something that i feel uh it's been almost uh you know it's i think that a lot of companies and a lot of products are doing this already and a lot of uh, people are appreciating the benefits of that uh, but just wanted to mention it as a really good way to... uh, If you talk about structuring a React uh, application, I think that's one of the main building blocks that you should consider. And it's also not to say that you have to build... Not every product needs a component library that's built from scratch. So there's uh, some excellent options out there. My favorite one is the Chakra UI, for example. There's some others, really good ones that you can use. So you don't even have to... You don't, you don't even have to reinvent the, the wheel with that. You can just use it.
2: Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out. And and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching.
3: And yeah, one of the great things like Material UI has, Libraries already done for Figma, for Adobe XD. So if you can work with your designer and say, okay, cool, we're just going to, you know, skin material, right? And it's going to have our color palette and this and that, right? Material is going to do all this awesome stuff in, in React to handle accessibility, I18N, you know, all of that, right? So the, the components are really good. And then on their side, you know, they can just literally drag and drop from the material UI. Uh, you know, template like okay, you know this is a button. This is a this is a contained button. This is a text button. This is a you know this is a data grid with these properties, and they can just literally do like tick 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 tick, and then you know there I, there are actually like other pieces of code out there that will go and generate the React for you from that. I don't I'm not I mean, I'm on I'm that one, but like at least having that ability to, to sync up with your de- with your designers so that you're both talking your standard components is awesome
1: exactly exactly and uh one other like super big benefit that i think often gets overlooked uh, but it's really really important is the accessibility aspect of this so mm. basically whenever you're building it doesn't matter if you're creating your own component library or you're using some of the existing ones it's very easy at the component level at the component stage to make the things accessible by default and what that means is that whenever you use this component all over your application, you can make it, you know, consistent, not only in terms of colors or borders or how it looks or how it behaves, uh, but you can always make sure, okay, this thing screen readers, for example, recognize it. So one very easy way to illustrate this is, for example, if you're creating an image component and Okay, so one other caveat, uh, if you're using TypeScript. So if you're enforcing, let's say, the types of the props, one thing that you can do is you can say, okay, the alt text for every instance where I'm using this image component is a mandatory prop. So you cannot not put it there, right? right. It could be an empty yeah. string, but you cannot not have it. Right. And in that way, you're just building the component in such a way that you are guaranteeing essentially that it's by default always will be used correctly also when talking about accessibility, which I think it's huge and it's really important.
3: It's not, I mean, it's it's super huge and people are always like, oh, no, accessibility, oh, I don't want to deal with this. But it's like, what's, what's worse, like dealing with accessibility in code or dealing with it in a, a courtroom? Because you can get sued if you're site particularly if you're if you're a big company I used to work for Nike and it was a big deal right you know we we did big accessibility checks all the time to make sure that anything that was customer facing was absolutely accessible
1: yeah i think that the legal aspect is there definitely and especially for me in my work because we're working with governments it's something that we have mm-hmm. to think about and there's like super strict uh, eu regulation around that however i think that it's also like a basic empathy aspect to it, right? Yeah, So just, exactly. for, just for a moment, try to put your mouse away and just close your eyes and just try to navigate your website. Just turn on, you know, the, the screen reader. Just try it, like, for, for 10 minutes. Yeah. And you can very quickly build this kind of understanding and see why this is, you know, so important and... It's, yeah, it, the internet is for everyone, right? It's yeah, not well, just
0: for, uh, yeah. Even if you're totally an unempathetic person, the building accessible sites tend to just make them better for everybody. Yeah. Like, I don't have any traditional disabilities. I don't have trouble using a, a keyboard or mouse or anything, but I like when forms are, like, f- f- make sense. Like, I can tab through them, right? Because I can type really fast. So anytime Chakra. somebody... Anytime somebody screws up the tab order in the form, or if they have a custom select that I can't use with the keyboard, Ugh. or custom radio buttons I can't use with the keyboard, it just makes me irrationally angry, right? Like I know I, it's it's not a it's not a big deal in the grand scheme of things, but it's like deeply affects me, right? Like I I feel more negativity towards your system now because how dare you implement this custom select with your custom colors just (laughs) just so it like looks nice. But I can't now I can't use tab down arrow. Like
3: come on. I am irrationally angry about that one. Not even maybe not even maybe rationally angry because it's like you know (laughs) the the designer is like, oh I just want it to be you know a little bit more roundy button. You're like, you're literally throwing away basic mechanics of of everything (laughs) to get it slightly Roundier, <laughs> come on, man! Like, give me a break.
1: Yeah, Sorry. It's it's virtual right there. <laughs> it's virtual, and I also I think that there's another aspect to this that also I don't hear a lot of people talk about, which is it actually makes developer experience better. Oh yeah. So if you structure your code in a way that makes sense, I think that also the developers on the team benefit from that, right? So everybody benefits when it when it makes sense. I, I guess is the. <laughs> is the conclusion of that but definitely if you structure your pages in a way that's uh, semantic for example then when i open the code i know that for example this is a section this is a nav, this is you know if you are using headings uh, properly i know like how the page uh, hierarchy is structured it's very basic things like that but it does make it better and uh, it does make it make more sense even on the on the code level and just when you're reading it and when you're working with it
3: Yeah. Despite how novel your marketing says that your site is, you know, it really probably comes down to reading and writing and updating stuff from a database, and that's that. You know, it's it's the same way all around, right? There's not, there's, (laughs) there are a lot of different ways to do that, but the more conventional, the better. The least surprising, the better.
1: Yeah, I I think that I I agree that it's good when users are not surprised (laughs) by by the behavior.
3: I think the users agree. Being one. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> I could go off. a
0: uh, Forms are my big one. I could go on a total oh. rant about there's <laughs> it's amazing can't. how many small
3: things bother me. Dark patterns are my my I hate dark patterns where they like put the little like, yes, you want to subscribe as the huge button and then like the kind of tiny eight point text. Like, no, I don't want to subscribe. You know, that's what I wanted.
2: Really?
1: I think that forms are really difficult. Just it's the most basic thing mm. you expect it on every website. But to really make it work nicely, there's a lot that comes into it. And it's also, again, like this conversation about what are the different states and what is the behavior that we're expecting as users, right? So, for example, super simple example is validation so you want to validate your fields right of course you probably do that on the front end you probably do that on the back end as well and there's different kinds of validation so for example if i start typing in a field i don't want to immediately start screaming at me that it's uh, invalid email when i haven't finished typing my email so (laughs) this is very very basic thing and of course i want to have it Show me the error whenever I'm, you know, whenever it's appropriate. Uh, But then again, when do you show the error exactly? It's it's a little bit tricky, right? Because one way would be to show all the errors on submit, but maybe that's not such a good experience, right? Because the person has to fill out the entire form, then click submit, then realize they have an error, go back. Maybe it's not the best experience. But then, yeah. So there's different approaches to that. Maybe you wanna show it on blur. Maybe you wanna show it on change, but not. Initially. So there's like many, a lot of discussion, and I don't think that there's one definitive answer. My whole point is that forms are hard, you know? Uh, forms are just, uh, hard, yeah. Imagine yeah. if, uh, just for a Use basic... Use a form even, manager. Uh, <laughs> yeah? yeah?
3: Yeah, Well, React hook form can give you, like, you basically tell it check on blur or check on change or check on this. And you basically, you don't you have to deal with the mechanics of any of that. You basically just set up the validation rules that you want. Hey, it's gotta be a phone number. Here's the regex, you know, hmm. and there you go and it handles all that stuff which is great but you know yeah,
1: yeah. it's really good I, I really like it as well and there's another uh, I, I guess a little bit tricky aspect to it so imagine if you have like async validation because not everything oh, that you yeah. can check you can check on the client so for example if you want if you have like a sign up form and you have to check whether this email is already used or something like that right there's no way to to know that just on the front end so it, it makes it even more uh, complicated in a way to, to handle these types of validations. And yeah, I, I agree that definitely forms are probably the one component that needs like the most attention and care uh, when you're building something to to make sure that it really doesn't infuriate whoever is using it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because in addition to all the things you brought up, usually you have your own business requirements that you have to worry about, too, because in addition to like getting all the and I think that's what can make it kind of hard, because as developers, we get laser focused on, well, my business users asked for this thing that does this, so I'm going to do it. And you can lose track of the little ux things right that because those aren't the things you're necessarily being graded on per se or the 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 thing that you're, you're being asked to do there's sometimes just like ancillary tasks that it's sort of on you to get right um in a sense because i at least in companies i've worked at in the past sometimes business users won't come back and say like oh yeah that works great but it doesn't work with a keyboard like very few people are going to complain with that lots of times it's on development uh to sort of get these sort of things right unless you have some companies you have good ux people good qa people that can help validate that sort
3: of thing too yeah Yeah. you need people who are going to push back a little bit and you know and push back to like the standard like oh i want the little star that says that it's you know it's a required field but you don't have it or something like that to be on the left on this side as opposed to on the right and you're like why You're only asking in this one feel. Like I don't need to burn credibility every single time, but we pushing back on that. I'd rather like get get some backup. You know, hey, hey, UX person, that's give a little pushback here. You know, please. I I will say
0: that's to me that's the trickiest situations I've been in is when you have a designer that's in like a position of power that like really likes the the look of something right and pushes heavily for it, and as a developer. You can try to push back in those situations, but sometimes it can be tricky, right? If you have a d- designer that really wants something to look and work a specific way, it could be a tough situation to be in, but <sighs> eh, it's a fight worth fighting. Never been there. <laughs> uh,
1: no,
0: I th- I, I'm thinking You're of there. one specific Quite situation, so... <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, it's definitely a negotiation, right? So you have to balance, uh, on the one hand, uh, the designer and uh, what they think is best. And also, like, I firmly believe that people do things with good intentions, right? So if anyone has, like, a super strong opinion on something, it's not because they it's personal against you. It's probably because they don't understand the problem or they don't appreciate it. Or maybe there's some education that uh, needs to happen and just open communication where we just explain the the problem and then ideally and of course there's different people right there's uh, stubborn people that won't always respond to this kind of treatment uh, but uh, generally speaking and uh, from my encounters uh, in the in tech teams um, if you have good arguments people will normally hear you out and uh, they would do what you suggest if it makes sense. But yeah, that's the designers are on the one hand, the product people are on the other. So they have like specific other needs that they need to cover. They have like a different yeah. set of priorities, different things in their heads. So it's, yeah, it's always a balancing act and it's always a team effort for that reason, right? Because w- you can develop like the most amazing website with like the most accessible forms that work with the keyboard and just uh, with the thought, you know, you think it and it's, uh, it feels, and it's uh, super nice, and then if nobody's using it, uh, there's no really, yeah. So yeah. It, it's very, very well made. said. Yeah, I think it's it's important to uh, to keep that in mind as well.
0: Yeah, because I think that's you said it extremely well. Because in those cases, it was lots of times. Well, the business people wanted to see the features put out so that the users could use it, and going back to like get accessibility and keyboard you know, keyboard usage, right, would take a few days. Well, it's like, well, they want us moving on to the next thing because those are the things that actually ship some value and get people using the app. So I like the way you frame it. It's just, you got to find a balance because the extremes on both ends are really not moving the business forward. So you got to
3: talk about it and meet in the middle. The schedule is always a good point of negotiation. You know, it's like, oh, you build this custom component, but that would take two weeks or you can get something off the shelf. that would take half a day you know, if we just do it regular way.
0: (laughs) So Eva, I'm also curious, you because you've taught yourself software development, which is really, really awesome. And I know we have a lot of listeners in that same sort of boat. So I'm curious what recommendations you have. And, I guess both in terms of like, is, is there any online material that you found especially useful? And then as probably a little bit more involved question th- because we also had listeners that struggled to break in, like to find their first job and because um, it's a big jump from just going through some online classes to actually getting a job and getting paid to do software development. So I'm curious what advice you have to people going through any sort of stage of that process.
1: Yeah, so the first piece of advice, I guess something that I would definitely say is that before you invest a lot of time and a lot of effort into becoming, you know, learning how to code or becoming a developer, because I think it's very common now, you know, salaries in the sector are pretty high. A lot of people are uh, jumping in. They want to become developers. They want to, you know, learn. They want to get their first job. And that's, all of that is like super nice, right? Don't get me wrong. I I really want more people. I want also, you know, more uh, diverse people and uh, all of that. However, what I would suggest to everyone is to just try a bunch of free resources first before they spend a lot of money on, like something like bootcamp or university degree or a lot of. Uh, this is, uh, you know, not if you are just starting university, right? This is if you are wanting to switch careers or, or something like this. So before yeah. you invest a lot of time and effort and money into this, just really test the water first, see if that thing is for you, because I yeah maybe maybe you like it and maybe you love it and maybe you make a career out of it and you're super happy with it uh and it's what uh, happened to me but maybe also you you don't really like it and maybe your time is better spent elsewhere and you can find that out without spending hundreds possibly thousands of dollars and uh yeah. So this this would be my one uh, one piece of advice to everyone who wants to jump, and I really don't want to jump into it, and I really don't want to discourage anyone with this. Like, definitely do it. Just do it uh, smartly and for free. And on that note, uh, one cool resource that I would recommend, and that really helped me a lot, especially in the beginning when I was learning, is FreeCodeCamp. It's an amazing website. It's uh, super so- there, uh, I think that they're currently also updating uh, their curriculum to include a lot more than just JavaScript. So you can learn um, all sorts of things there. You can learn front end, back end. I'm not sure uh, if they're launched. Launched it already, but I think it's uh if it's not there, it's definitely coming. It's the, like a machine learning uh, course, so it doesn't like really matter what kind of field uh, you want to go into. Definitely go and check out this website. It's a non-profit organization, so it's completely free. You can do a lot with it right you can really test it and try it and understand if it's for you and then if it is and if uh, you know you want to buy books or you want to buy courses then that's a whole different story but you're coming a little bit more prepared and understanding uh, what you're getting yourself into
3: yeah i wish i knew some way to figure out if someone has that kind of maker's mentality right because i think that's what you really need you need that that kind of i I'm the kind of person who takes stuff apart and tries to figure out how it works, or I'm very interested in how it, how it all fits together or something like that. Because I, I work with a lot of folks at various levels of having this skill. And there's definitely folks who like, they'll go and they'll, Like when they run into something, they'll hit up the error and they'll be like, oh, yeah, what does this error mean? You know, and they'll kind of dig into it. And then there are other folks who like just immediately like I'm going to go over to Stack Overflow and just kind of copy and paste in this error and just see what, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you're not really learning anything. You're not giving yourself that opportunity to like really build up those muscles of, of I see this thing fail. How do I make this thing work? And that's just a yeah. critical skill. Like if you if you really want to go from, you know, junior to like lead, like there, you're going to run into stuff that there is no stack. There's no stack of our flow safety net for weird, you know, deployment errors on blah, 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 blah. You know, you've got to be able to actually figure it out.
1: Yeah, I guess I have a bit of a, like, I agree with you generally. Uh, but one thing that I would add, maybe have a little bit of a different perspective on, is Please. that it's not necessarily important to do that from the start because in the beginning it's like so overwhelming like the amount of information that you get just from trying to do something that you've never done before is really really you know it can be very even like discouraging or demotivating at times because you you've never done this before you don't know how it works you don't know anything right and you're trying to build like a basic HTML page and then to having to dig super deep into every single issue that you encounter with this it's probably not super productive at this stage and I completely sure. agree that if you want to advance and if you want to be you know a senior developer and if you want to you know have this like really deep knowledge and understanding of what you're doing. You definitely need to do that at some point just when you're a beginner and when you're starting out just make it work you know make it Mm -hmm. do the thing that you want it to do copy paste code it doesn't matter you understand it later just make it make it do something and then once you get this like adrenaline hit from you know seeing nothing on the screen to seeing something and that something does what you want it to do I I think that this is like really the motivating factor from there to really dig deeper and understand further and build more things like I can uh, tell you about my very first uh, project that I built with React and I think that it took me probably a month or something Mm -hmm. I had to build like one one of the pre-code exercises that I was doing at the time was to build the game of life. Oh, yeah. It's very simple. Yeah. It's very common uh, problem to, to solve for every developer. This was like the hardest thing that I had to do at the time. And... Uh, Right now, when I look at the code and I see what I did there, it's like, you know, <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, fa- no. Facebook emoji. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> But yeah. it works, you know, it, yeah. it works. And this was like, I felt like a huge sense of accomplishment because of this, even though it's horrible. <laughs> And I think that's really important when you're starting out. Just make yourself feel good, you know, make yourself like you're actually progressing and don't get too too deep into things that are maybe not super important at the moment. And once you advance and once you, you know, uh, understand a bit more and you can have a bit more fluency with the language and, you know, a bit more concepts, then definitely, you know, gain also this deeper understanding.
3: And pick a right sized project, right? You picked a good one there. You picked, you know, Game Game of Life is, it's a little, it's complex, but it's not o- over complex. And you're not bringing in like all this extra, you know, you don't, I don't, you probably didn't do it in like SVG or Canvas tags or whatever. And it's like, I, I just, I see a lot of folks like go from zero to like, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to learn the guitar, right? Or something. And they go from like knowing nothing to like trying to play like Stairway to Heaven as their first song. It's like, dude, okay, <laughs> let's, you know, let's, 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 Bring it, let's bring it back a little bit
1: is that the hard one I have no idea
3: oh okay yeah no it's a very very complicated <laughs> song <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> okay ouch I feel old now all right <laughs> I, I know the reference Jack. so if it makes you feel better at oh thank you
0: <laughs> yeah it I love the advice though of starting with free stuff because I yeah so I went the traditional university route and For me, I saw the dropout happen between the first and the second year. Like There there were a ton of people interested in coding the first year, and then by the second year, it was like half the people or maybe even less than that that dropped off. Which I think, like, you know, a year of traditional university is enough for you to determine if it's for you or not. But the downside is those people paid money to be in those, like, a, or a, a fairly significant amount of money to be in those classes and a significant amount of time. So, but at the time, they, you know, that's one of the benefits of modern software development is that there is this free material out mm-hmm. there for you to sort of kick the tires with and try out. And so that's really, really cool. Well, Eva, this has been fascinating. This has been an it, awesome been chat. Awesome, awesome. Um, yeah, absolutely, <laughs> uh, lots of great ad- advice. Is there anything like any last tips, anything we've missed or haven't talked about that you you feel is in is important, or a- any last advice that you want to give people?
1: Without sounding too cliche, uh, I hope uh, I think that the best advice and the way that people can really learn uh, how to be good developers is just by doing. And this is very, like, building projects, and it doesn't matter, right? So it could be like a personal small thing that you're interested in. It could be, you know, something for your job that maybe you have. So one of the cool things that we have, for example, is kind of 10% time where you can build Mm. whatever you want. A lot of companies have that as well, or... Maybe in the process of uh, introducing it, I hope. Uh, so just doing things and doing things, especially outside of your comfort zone. So me as a front-end developer, for example, it, I find it hard to do things maybe on the back-end sometimes. Just challenging yourself. This is, I think, the best, uh, really the best advice and um, nothing else works, at least in my experience. Nothing nothing
0: Still learns like
3: it. doing, you know. Absolutely. agree.
1: Awesome.
0: good words to end on so why don't we
2: move into our picks hey folks if you love this podcast and would like to support the show or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages then you're in luck we're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after christmas 2020 without the ads signing up will help us pay for editing and production and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium
0: Hello, man, it's hard segue to make from that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're going to move into our picks, which is our segment where we pick just something from around our lives or some sort of tech uh, that we want to pick. And Jack, do you want to kick us off today?
3: Sure. Boy, I watched two really good movies over the weekend. And the first one was Everything Everywhere All at Once, which is just Oh my God, so good that movie. It's crazy good. And then, like as if to like just go completely on the other end of the of the spectrum, we watched was it Chippendale Rescue Rangers? which was also <laughs> insanely good just in time, and like but they're all it's, like you know you get in this world where you're like seeing the same movies over and over and over again because no, there's no creativity in the scripts and but both of those movies are just so creative and so well, okay. Everything you're everywhere at that, once, that's the movie you got to see. Because I'm telling you, just like talking to Eva here, like it's very mind expanding. It's very like, oh, wow. She's giving you a different perspective and it's really good. That movie will give you a different perspective and they do it really good.
0: Wait, they made a new Chip and Dale movie? Like this is, this is a cool
3: movie watch. This is. No, 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 okay. no, 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 no. This is like, this is like now, but it's also, okay. it's very super. It's, you know, it's very 2022. It's very meta. It's very this, it's very that, but it's so well done. Interesting. All right. I will
0: check it out. Cool. So my pick for this week, I'm going to go with a tech-related pick and pick Postman. So Ooh. if you have not heard of it before, just a tool for helping you just issue HTTP requests. It's like it's like using curl if you've used that from the command line, but just gives you a lot of tooling around it. And I think it's a fairly well-known tool. But oh um, yeah, if you but if you haven't used it before, it's just super nice. And it came up at work recently because we have a series of like API requests that we have to formulate up in a very specific way. And they have a lot of tooling around just importing and exporting those things. So if you have somebody else in your team, that's like, okay, there's a common set of requests you're going to need to, to use for your work stuff. Uh, it's, it gives you like some nice tooling to just ship those things around and share them. So, and it's free to use. Like, I don't think like I've paid them much money i don't, I don't know actually they're <laughs> pricing i i, yeah. I got to uh, maybe i'm cheating
3: the system actually <laughs> oh wait well, so I, it's funny i just talked to somebody at work about this and i didn't know that it handles graphql but apparently it handles oh. like it's got i mean you can always do graphql like it's because graphql is just basically rest fancy rest but they actually have like ui specific to graphql now cool I'll
0: have to check it out. i also have to look if I'm supposed to be paying for business usage because I'm, I'm not totally sure what their their terms are, so I should probably figure that out. <laughs> evil, evil man. Eva, what picks do you have for us?
1: So this is going to sound probably a little bit random, but I recently picked up a new hobby, which is uh, horse uh, riding. Mm, is awesome. Horseback riding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's... Uh, Yeah, I I found it like so refreshing because for such a long time, all of my hobbies have been tech related. And it's been, you know, either writing blog articles or building side projects or, you know, staying up all night uh, trying to debug stuff. uh, And I really love it and I really enjoy it. But I also think that it's super important to do something else from time to time. Yeah. And, uh, for, for my mental health personally, it's really good to sometimes get off of the computer and just do something else. So I'm going to have uh, this uh, pick.
3: Can I be slightly geeky and ask if you're doing like English Western dressage? Like, what what kind of horseback riding are you
1: doing? So I've had like so far lesson and a half. Okay. Uh, but it's Western.
3: Okay. Cool. Okay. And it's really cool. cool.
1: And the it is very cool. The the horses are super sweet. Oh, they do what they want for the moment with me, but uh, I I I will learn how to uh, control and uh, yeah.
3: (laughs) Eventually,
0: yeah. It's, it's my wife's escape as well. So I've, I've went several times. It's okay for me. Like I, I enjoy it, but I'm, I'm always happy. Like at the end, like, okay, that was fun. But whereas my wife, like I have to convince her sometimes I feel like if I left her on her own, we'd have three horses in our backyard and she'd be (laughs) riding them around all the time. So it's another thing if I think like, if you haven't done it before, you should totally
3: much like software development, right? Try it out and see whether it's your thing.
1: Yeah, yeah, I love it.
3: And always follow the directions of the folks in the barn. You know, they will tell you, like, stay away from that horse. That horse bites. Follow that advice because the horse will bite. They usually, I
0: tell, I usually tell them I have no idea what I'm doing. And they put me on like the old, the old horse that's like, got to just trot around and I'm, exactly. we're we're on the same page. So it, it usually works
3: out well. Exactly.
1: That's <laughs> some uh, strategic strategic move there.
3: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like DJ, like, you get the old horse. Uh,
0: so Eva, this has been great. Uh, last question for you. If people want to follow you or check out your content, what's, where is the best place for them to go?
1: So I am on Twitter. Uh, my handle is uh, just uh, Eva Kopp. You can find it easily, hopefully. And also, as I uh, said, my blog is called uh, Where is the Mouse? So it's com, And uh, you can find, uh, hopefully, interesting articles there.
0: Awesome stuff. Well, really appreciate you joining us this week. I definitely learned a lot, and there's some great advice there. So thanks one last time. And everybody else, I'll
2: see you next week.
1: Yeah, thanks for the conversation. It was uh, super nice.
2: It was great. Thank you.